Well, it is good to see you. Um, I missed being with you uh, last week. It's good to be back, and I thank you for being here today. Uh, last week, my wife and I just kind of got away for, for a couple of days and, and uh, a little change of pace and doing something different. And uh, while we were gone, she and I were just walking along one particular day, and uh, rain came. And it was just one of those where all of a sudden here comes a, a, a storm and the, and the rain began to fail, fall. And so she and I just sort of camped out under a, a, just an overhang along the street there waiting for the rain to pass. And as we're standing there, all of a sudden, I see this image. And I didn't, don't know if you can see it close enough, so we're going to... Can you read it? Do not lock bikes to the post. That's what it says. And what we have here is a bike locked to the post. I, I could have taken another picture because there was another post just a few feet away that had the very same words written on the post, and there was another bike. This one was chained to this post. And, and as I'm looking at this, I'm like, isn't it amazing that when somebody tells us not to do something, there's this little part of us that it just makes us want to do it, doesn't it? Come on, we in church. We, we all got a little bit of that in us, certain things that we're told not to do. It just kind of makes us want to do those things. When we read the Gospels, Jesus gives commands to those who follow him and what we've discovered, some of you have like been reading through Matthew together, now we're in the, book of, in the Gospel of Mark, and a handful of those commands, Jesus says there are things you are not to do. Now, I'm convinced, and we can ask them hopefully one of these days when we actually get to meet them, those first followers, it's like when they heard that, I think there was a part of them, they hear Jesus say, do not do this, and there's a part of them that goes, I wish my life could be that way. I, I wish that would characterize my life. But quite honestly, why even try? Because Jesus, what I hear you saying sounds impossible. <clears throat> what I hear you saying don't do sounds incredibly unrealistic. But then something happened. And the something that happened is that Jesus rises from the dead. They saw him die, and then they have lunch with him. And that changed everything for them. And what I want you to know is that that changes everything for us. And so... The next four weeks are going to be about untying the knots, the N-O-T-S. Like, it, there's this little bit of fear that you have. It's like when we put that out there, they're going to think we don't know how to spell, all right? Well, the truth is already I don't know how to spell. But in this particular case, what we've got here is really what we're talking about. These handful of statements that Jesus says do not, what's he saying, and how does this impact our lives? For example, in the Gospel of Matthew, we're told that as those first 12 
uh, followers of Jesus or moving around with him, there came a time where Jesus said, now I'm going to send you out for a short period of time. I'm going to send you out. I'm going to send you out in pairs. I'm going to send you out in twos. And as I send you out, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Okay, that's exciting. All right. Is this a motivational talk, Jesus? I'm going to send you out as sheep among wolves. Uh, some of you will be arrested. Some of you will be beaten up by people. It's gonna, you're going to sacrifice a lot. And then he makes this statement. It is our first knot to untie. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And I'm saying that's why I think that those early followers would hear him say that and probably go, you know what, I wish, I wish my life could be characterized by that statement. I wish that were true of my life. But Jesus, have you seen this world? Have you seen what goes on around us? So let me give you a little more detail of how Jesus unpacks this for them. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to take you to several stories in Matthew's gospel today, but Matthew chapter 10, verse 38, uh, or 28, I'm sorry, is where we're going to start. And here's what, here's what Jesus says. Do not, what? Be afraid. Do not. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And okay, if you're those first followers and you're going, okay, Jesus just said, do not be afraid, and then, and then he said, be afraid. It's like, okay, so, so you're saying we're not supposed to fear, but then we're supposed to have some fear. And I think these were the kind of moments when Jesus probably smiles, which he probably had to do a lot. And then he continues, verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And in that day, it's just what you would read. They, they were not worth hardly anything. You could buy two sparrows for, for almost nothing. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. Verse 30. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. All right. So, Jesus, what, what, what I hear you saying is don't be afraid. And when I hear you say don't be afraid, that makes me think that, Jesus, what you're saying is you're going to keep bad things from happening to me. That's how I translate don't be afraid. Don't be afraid means, Jesus, you're going to keep bad things from happening to me. But wait a minute, Jesus, you just said the sparrows actually fell to the ground. And the Father saw that the sparrows fell to the ground. You, you said you were going to send us out, but you were sending us out like sheep among wolves. You said that, that there are going to be some really bad things that happen to us, but do not be afraid. What are you saying? Now, what we know is that these disciples who are hearing Jesus say this for the first time, they are connecting some dots. 
And the reason I say that is what Matthew has already given us, which we're going to look at in just a minute, they, are, they have already walked through some things with Jesus that now they are starting to put the, 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 the pieces together. They're starting to, to connect the dots, and we're going to have to do the same in order to understand what Jesus is saying here. For example, earlier, Jesus with his disciples were surrounded by this big crowd. Now that happened often. When Jesus spoke, when Jesus taught, when, he, when they began to do the miracles, big crowds would gather. And the only way that Jesus could create space at times between him and the crowd, the only way that Jesus could get away from the paparazzi was a boat. It was a boat. And so he would get in that boat to create some space. Here's what it reads in Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Now, that may not sound significant, but it is. He gets in the boat, and then the disciples follow him into that boat. Suddenly... Suddenly a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. Now, some of you have had scary experiences in your life. For some of you, it might be a boat story. For some of you, it might be a plane story. For some of you, it is an automobile story. For some of you, it's a storm story. It's a, a tornado. It's a hurricane. It's something. But you have been through some circumstances. If we went around the room today, and there really would be some moments where you would say, this thing happened, and I was suddenly scared to death. I was suddenly afraid for my life. Well, what's happening in this circumstance is we got water coming over the boat. We got waves that are crashing this boat. It is filling the boat with water. But thank goodness Jesus is on this boat, right? Because here's what it says in verse 24, but Jesus was sleeping. Jesus was sleeping. Now, when I read this, I'm, I'm saying, okay, G Jesus is sleeping, or Jesus is doing that thing that every good parent knows how to do when you look like you're sleeping, but you're actually just wondering what the kids are really saying, right? You know. I think he was sleeping. Seriously, it, it is most likely that some of you who are listening today, you're here, but if you were really honest, you would, you would say, you know what, I've, I've kind of honestly just kind of checked out on my faith. And the reason is that this thing happened, this storm came. This tragedy occurred. And you know what? God was asleep. Because he did not respond 
how I know he should have responded in this storm. He did not respond how I know he should have responded in these circumstances. And I want you to know that you're in really good company. So much so that today, I, I kind of want to, I want to invite you to come back. I want to invite you to come back and just know that you are not the first nor only person who has ever felt like in the middle of a storm that maybe Jesus was asleep. Because you know what? There were actually disciples who saw him asleep. Verse 25. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Verse 26. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? <laughs> now, I think this was a chaotic moment. Otherwise, there probably would have been a hand that went up, permission to speak freely, Lord. Why, why are we afraid? Can, can, can you see the water coming over this boat? Jesus, the water is filling the boat. The water fills the boat. The boat sinks. We may drown. When you may drown, then you are afraid. When you may drown, you are allowed to experience fear. Jesus, why are we so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves. And it was completely calm. Verse 27, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Are you kidding me? He speaks to the wind, and the wind and the waves just come? What kind of man is this? And the answer would be, super, super man. That, that, is, that is what we're dealing with here. When, when Mark records the story, his version of it includes an interesting phrase. In the Gospel of Mark, he takes the noun for the word fear, and he takes the verb for the word fear, and he puts it together, and it comes out like this, they feared a great fear. And what Mark was saying is they had this fear of drowning. They thought the waves coming over the boat was going to sink the boat. They had this fear of drowning, but then when they realized that they weren't going to drown, their fear was even greater because now they're asking the question, who is this guy? Who is this guy that speaks to wind and it is calm? So in other words, apparently there is something to be afraid of. But maybe what we're called to be afraid of is not the thing we thought we should be afraid of. It's not even whom we thought we should be afraid of. He's saying, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Don't, don't fear that, that thing, that one. Don't fear that disease. Don't fear that storm. Don't fear that person. Don't, for these disciples, it was that empire. Do, do not fear the one that can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. 
In other words, for them, the fear of the water coming over the boat was very quickly eclipsed by a greater fear of the one who shared the boat with them. A few chapters later, the disciples again with Jesus, and again a crowd. And this time, the crowd's hungry. The crowd's hungry, and Jesus said, you feed them, right? And they're looking around going, Jesus, there are thousands of people here. We cannot feed this crowd. He says, you feed them. Some of you know the story. They, they, they have a little bit of food that's given. Jesus blesses the food, begins to break it. He puts it in these baskets, and, and the disciples are starting to distribute it. And as they are distributing the food, it just keeps multiplying. There's just plenty. There's just plenty. And they're looking at each other going, we got this, right? They're looking at each other going, we, we, we have arrived. I mean, did you see what we did today, right? So after the crowd is fed, here's where we're going to pick it up this time, this story. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. Now, my question is, why did Jesus have to make the disciples get into the boat? And I'm convinced it's because the disciples are going, are you kidding me? Do you remember what happened last time we got in the boat with you, Jesus? We don't get in boats with you anymore, right? Last time, water over the boat. I mean, we thought we were going to die and you're sleeping. Jesus makes them get into the boat. And go on ahead of him while he dismisses the crowd. And I, I, there's, there's this part of me that I imagine that scene. You, you know what it's like, like when you're launching a boat. And even though these are fishing boats, they're, they're decent-sized boats, but they still have to be pushed away from the shore. And there's all, whoever the last one is, you know how it is when you're launching a boat, there's one last person who pushes the boat, and then you jump on. That's kind of how you do it. And can't you imagine Jesus, and, and it's got to be Peter. Peter would have been the one like, go ahead, Jesus, you get in. And he's like, no, Peter, you go ahead, you go first. And Peter's like arguing with him, Jesus, you get in. And Jesus is like, no, you get in, I got this, and I'll put. And can't you see as Jesus is pushing the boat away, and they expect Jesus to jump up on the boat, and he just goes, whoo. And he's like, I'll, I'll catch up with you. I'll catch up with you. And they're thinking, okay, we'll catch up with you later. We're fishermen. This is what we do. We row, row, row the boat. Verse 23. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now this time, we're not in a storm. The language is different. This is not a storm with waves crashing over the boat, but this is a headwind that seems to be described here, where these guys are trying to row across this lake, and the wind is just pushing at them, making it incredibly difficult. And so they are, they are rowing. And as you read the story, they are there for hours and hours and hours and hours. They are rowing through the night. They are rowing and going nowhere is the picture, all right? This is officially the first rowing machine in the history of the world. They are rowing, and they were actually going nowhere. And it's dark now. 
Here's why we know it's dark, because verse 25 says, shortly before dawn, they've been rowing a long time. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus said to them, Fail, 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 fail. You all failed, right? Peter, you failed. John, and everybody failed. Because, come on, seriously, doesn't anybody remember last time we were in the boat? Here we are again. And what have you learned? Apparently nothing. Fail. Everybody has failed. Again, you are afraid when there's something to be afraid of. And I'm trying to teach you not to be afraid, even when there's something to be afraid of. So here's what Jesus actually said in verse 27. Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. So, Jesus, we, we couldn't actually see you in the boat with us, but you were watching us? Mm-hmm. Kind of like it'll be for a whole bunch of people who will follow you after you ascend back to heaven and they at times can't see you in the boat. Here's the lesson. You don't have to be afraid, even when there is something to be afraid of. That's his lesson. That, that's, what, that's what he's trying to teach those first followers. You, you don't have to be afraid, even when there's something to be afraid of. But now we're going to get serious. Now we're going to get serious, and I'm going to change one word. And when I change this one word, all of a sudden, for all of us who have ever wondered, is Jesus asleep for me? This is what he wants you to know. I. I don't have to be afraid, even when there is something to be afraid of. You don't have to say it out loud. I just want you to say it to yourself right now. I want, I want you to read it. I want you to say it to you. I don't have to be afraid, even when there is something to be afraid of. Now, if it makes you feel any better, they still didn't learn it. They still didn't get it. We've had multiple boat trips 
right? Multiple boat rides, we, we, and they, they still did not learn it. Well, Jeff, how do you know they didn't learn it? Here, here's how I know, because very, very soon Jesus will be arrested, and you know what they do? They run, and you know why they run? They are afraid. They lied, they denied, they hide, and all of that translates they are fearful. They do not fear not. They're afraid. They were afraid of the one who could harm the body. That's what they were afraid of. But then the day comes that all of a sudden these same followers who lie and deny and hide because they are so afraid, they become fearless. They got it. The, the day comes that all of a sudden they appear to be f- afraid of nothing. And I want you to understand it was not another teaching. It, it was not another boat trip. What changed it all is when they saw Jesus die for them and three days later comes walking out of a tomb. And then they are fearless. And the reason is that the ultimate enemy, which is death, has now been defeated. And when they lost their fear of death, there was really nothing else for them to fear. Those early followers, they got it. You read the stories, you read Acts, they seem to be afraid of nothing. We, as a church, get the chance to, to, to many of you, you travel to different places in the world on mission, I'm saying. And when you travel to those different places in the world, some of those places, there, there's even persecution that happens, and you look at those believers and you go, these people have got it. They, 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 are, not, they are not afraid. They are not afraid. They, they are bold to follow Jesus. They, they seem to be fearless. And then you kind of look around you where we live, and you go, how come we don't get that? How come we don't get that? And it is this picture of when you are no longer afraid of the one who can harm the body. Which means you are no longer afraid of any person. You are no longer afraid of disease. You are no longer afraid of that which can just harm the body. But you now have this reverence. It is this fear. It is this awe that that you have for the one who controls your soul. When you see it, something happens inside of you. It becomes this do not fear that becomes your way of life. It changes everything. About 160, 180 years after Jesus rises and ascends back to heaven, um, during that time frame is what's often called the, the fourth major persecution of Christians, all right, which that should tell you something. In 160 years, Christians have been persecuted all the way through there. This is like the fourth major persecution 
persecution. There, there was a, an emperor uh, called Marcus Aurelius who, who was the, the, the leader. He was much the, the instigator, the one who enabled a lot of this to happen. But I'm telling you this because during that time frame, there was a very famous physician slash surgeon slash philosopher. His name was Claudius Galenus. Claudius Galenus mentions Christians in his writings. You can go back and look it up. Now, here's what's interesting to know. In that day, it was not legal for anybody to examine a dead body. And you're thinking right now, really, whoever wants to examine a dead body, right? But if you are a physician, right, if you are in the medical world, uh, there is value to understanding what, what's happening. And so, but it was against the law. I don't have any more to give you other than it was, it was against the law. They were not allowed to examine dead bodies. And so what doctors would do is they would hang out in places where people died. Now, that sounds like fun, right? Where would you hang out where, where people, you would hang out in places like the arenas, where the Christians would be served up to the lions or they would be served up to battles that would take place and the Christians would lose their lives. People would lose their lives. And Claudius Galenus hung out in the arenas and he observed these Christians who even 160 years after Jesus has risen and ascended to heaven, they are not just dying, they are being tortured. And this is the statement that Galenus makes about Christians. For fearlessness of death. Now, this guy's not a Christian. For fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something we witness in them every day. And basically what he goes on to write is he says, no matter what we put them through, no matter what we threaten them with, no matter how we torture them, no, what, no matter what we do to them, they are not afraid of what's next. And he says we see it every day. This is not like an isolated case here or an isolated case here. He says these people who call themselves Christians, these people who follow Jesus, their fearlessness was what got the attention of the empire. And why is that? It's because most everybody's afraid of death. Everybody is afraid of death except those who follow a risen Savior. Everybody's afraid of death except those who know the one who died and then came back to declare, I have conquered this enemy. And when those who know him have such a reverence for him, everything else is small. When I was um, a little boy, I can remember our family um, taking vacations where Every once in a while, we would um, find like a, a cabin or something on a lake, 
And usually it was because we knew somebody who had one and they would let us go stay for a week and we'd just um, head out to the cabin and just spend a week um, fishing and playing around. Um, more than one occasion, multiple times, we, we went to um, a place called Toledo Bend. Um, Toledo Bend is this giant lake. It's a reservoir. It's like the 10th largest man-made lake in the U.S. Uh, it's right between Louisiana and Texas. And uh, we would go and just hang out for a week, fish, play around. It was just a blast. When, when the fish were biting and you got into them in the right spot, it was one of those where you, you just couldn't keep up. You're just catching them faster. I just, as a kid, I still remember how much fun that was. But what I also remember about those trips were storms. This lake is big. You got to think like um, Truman, like times three, times four. It's big. It's a big body of water. And in the south, thunderstorms explode. They do. And I'm, I'm, we're going retro here, all right? We're talking about when I was a kid, which means we don't have an app on our phone screaming, storm is coming, storm is coming, all right? This is a different day. There's no app on my phone or on my parents' phone. This is, this is how you knew the storm was coming. You went, oh, a storm is coming, all right? That's kind of the forecast. Here, here it comes. And, and in the middle of that lake, those storms would just blow up really fast, and it was so big that you could not outrun it. And I remember on more than one occasion when the instruction that I was given is my dad would say, lay down in the boat. And my sister and myself, I can remember we would lay down in the bottom of that boat and they'd cover us with whatever there was to try to stop some of the pelting rain that was about to hit. And we would tie onto a couple of usually stumps, whatever it was, depending on where we were at and what the particular layout was. And we would just uh, hold on. We'd hold on. I thought a lot about that and why my dad could say to me, do not be afraid. Son, lay down in the boat. Do not be afraid. And I think the reason he could say that was, was one, he knows how to swim. Uh, two, he had been on the water a lot. Um, and three, he had been on that very boat. And he had been in those very waters in the storm. Do you know why Jesus could say to those first followers? And do you know why Jesus can continue to whisper down through the centuries to you and to me in spite of what we are dealing with. Do not be afraid. It's because he can swim and he's been on the water a lot and he's been in the very boat that you're on. In the very water that you're in. The very circumstances 
very storm. And he says to you, you don't have to be afraid, even when there's something to be afraid of. Because I am with you. Don't fear anything or anyone that can only harm your body. Because you have surrendered your fears to the God who loves you, who is with you, who is not shaken by what is happening to you right now. And he is the one who will walk with you through this storm. Do not be afraid. That clicked with them when they saw him rise from the dead. You don't have to be afraid because of what Jesus has conquered. He died for your sin, but then he stepped out of a tomb to prove that he has authority over death. You do not have to fear. Now, I'm going to ask you, we need to do something with this in just a minute, okay? I'm going to ask you not to move. I am. I'm going to ask you, this is not a moment to go somewhere else. I'm going to ask you to hang with us here. Because we want to do something with this in just a minute. We we got a truth here that is life transforming. And we need to do something with it. But before we do something with it, I want us to hear ourselves declare the truth. And so I want us to sing together just one one verse the first verse and chorus of this of this song that we're going to sing i just want us to sing one because there's enough packed in this one that it'll it'll we'll we'll hear ourselves declare the truth that jesus has given us today and then we're going to do something with it in the darkness in the sorrow in the brokenness this is the truth let's stand let's sing it together darkness tries to roll over my bones when sorrow comes to steal the joy I own when brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken I won't be shaken my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. You believe that? Here's what I want you to do for me. I'm going to ask us all across the room to just close our eyes. Can we just close our eyes together? And here's why. I just want you to be able to concentrate for a few minutes. I don't want you to worry about what's on a screen or what's going on anywhere around you, but I just want for a few minutes, I want us to concentrate. 
And here's what I want you to think about for just a minute. I want you to think about what you fear most. What do you fear most? I'm saying for some of you, it could be losing a child. It could be losing another child. For some of you, it could be your health. Or it could be the health of someone that you love the most. It could be your marriage that you fear where it's headed. It could be financial. For some of you, it's a fear of failure. You're in the middle of something right now, and you are terrified of failure. For some of you, it's the fear of being alone. For some of you, it's the fear of being found out. What is that thing? That is your water over the boat. This is your, is Jesus asleep? Does God even care? What is your thing? And I'm going to ask you to just keep your eyes closed because I want to say something to you. I want to say something to you on behalf of your Savior. I don't want you to see me with your eyes. I want you to hear him. Before I do that, I'm just going to ask. Nobody's going to ask you to, you don't need to tell anybody what it is. Nobody's going to ask you to do anything like that in this moment. I'm not singling anybody out, I promise. Nobody's even going to see it because everybody's got eyes closed. But just as a step for you of going, I'm admitting today that I got a fear. Just so, just for me. Would you just, just lift your hand across the room? I promise I'm not going to single anybody. I'm not, thank you, across the room. Just fear going, I got one. I got one. Okay, you can put them down. Here's what I want you to hear. On behalf of your Savior, here's what he says. Do not be afraid. I am with you. You don't have to fear even when there is something or someone to be afraid of. Do not be afraid. I am with you. I'm going to pray for you. And then I want you to know that as I pray, and even as we sing together here in a minute, there's opportunity. There are people around this room, in the back, on the side. If you really could use someone to say, hey, I, I could use somebody to pray for me, what I'm going through, I, want to, I encourage you to go. Step those directions. But I'm going to pray. And then together we are going to declare again with all of our voice, with all of our heart, the truth that Jesus has given us today. God, I thank you for the chance to remind and encourage each other with the truth today. That whether it be our fear of people, or circumstances, or failure, or disease, or death, it has been overcome, overwhelmed by you, our God, who controls our destiny, you, our God, who loves us enough that you sent your Son for us. And so God, I'm asking as we sing this song together, 
about a love that is so powerful that it breaks the chains of fear that controls us. And it is a love so powerful that it empties graves. Father, I ask for your kids here today, God, give us faith to believe that you have been in this very boat that we are in right now, and you have been on these very waters that we find ourselves in right now. Sometimes you calm the storm, and sometimes you call us to ride it out. But in all waters, you always, always love us, and you are always, always with us. It's in the name of Jesus that we thank you together. Amen. Can we thank him? Can we thank him?